there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Grandling. I'm joined by Connor Orr of the Weekside Podcast. We are through one week of free agency, and uh, that's pretty much it. Everyone can stop paying attention. Uh, everyone good is signed, then we'll just move on with our lives right now, Connor. We did it. See you guys. That's it. That was the show. <laughs> Uh, no, we're, we're gonna we're gonna give our takes uh, a couple of positions here, a couple of teams. We're gonna talk about the Raiders did, what the Chiefs did, what the Patriots did, obviously. Uh, but I want to start this one off with the quarterbacks because just no one ever talks about quarterbacks. So let's let's really go against the grain here. Uh, you know, it's it's been the the Russell Wilsons and the the Matthew Saffers. Those guys have sort of headlined the offseason here. Uh, the guys who moved in free agency here, teams found answers specifically Chicago and Washington for 2021 uh maybe not the answers you were looking for and we'll start with Andy Dalton going to Chicago and I know uh Bears fans are bummed out and a lot of people are saying oh he should have should have gotten Russell should have gotten Russell it's like oh couldn't couldn't get Russell <laughs> didn't I mean I don't know what the package would have had to be eight first rounders uh, there's yeah there were no players that could have gone back to Seattle and certainly no answers at quarterback going back back to Seattle. 
Yeah, like even if you, uh, you know, it was reported that it was three first round picks, I think a third round pick and two starters. And even if those starters were your best two players, you know, even if you sent back Khalil Mack and Allen Robinson or something like that, you know, a non-franchise tag, Allen Robinson, I, I don't know if that would have been enough. I mean, Russell Wilson is one of the three best quarterbacks in the NFL. That's an irreplaceable thing. And, you know, so Bears fans kind of have to chill on that. I mean, you, there's a certain point where you can't trade first round draft picks anymore, you know, and I'm sure Chicago uh, had exhausted all that because their GM and their coach aren't going to be here in 2022 if they don't make the playoffs this year. And, and, progress as a franchise and so it's not like they're not trying you know they they would love russell wilson they would love anybody but andy dalton i'm sure um but um the one puzzling part of all this for me was that they promised him the starting job which i think is the one thing that has given bears fans pause and rightfully so ryan pace was at trey lance's pro day I think he's going to do the pro day circuit. If I were him, I would draft and uh, try to kind of build in some of that. Um, you know, we've seen rookies take over week three, week four, week five, you know, and 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 totally um, exploit a team's inability to have, you know, a Rolodex of information on them. You know, I love that game plan. And I think Matt Nagy could be really creative with that. But um I just don't think Andy Dalton can be the plan, even if it's even if it seems like that right now. I guess there is a realism to it. If you're Ryan Pace uh, going ahead and guaranteeing the job to Dalton, uh, this is a team that has been short on draft capital the last couple of years, in part because of the Kudo Mac trade, which obviously you do again. But uh, they've been aggressive moving up to get. Uh, I don't know. Did did you have to move up and get David Montgomery? I mean, it, it, they they have spent sort of those day two picks. Uh, to make these minor move ups on, on guys who you know are are fine, but are but are not difference makers. So they might just be looking at this. Well, surely they were looking at it and just saying, you know what, we can't come up into the top ten from twenty, uh, and still get the kind of depth in this draft that we need to get. And so we're just gonna have to settle for whoever we can sign at this point. Uh, Dalton. As far as how he fits in this Bears offense and with Matt Nagy, I mean, look. He's 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 a professional quarterback. It, it would not be the end of the world, uh, you know, if they had brought in it, brought him in for a competition. Like you said, Connor, if, if they if they end up drafting a quarterback, if someone falls into their laps at uh, pick 20 and they end up taking, a, uh, you know, a Mac Jones or someone like that and Andy Dalton wins the competition in August, it's not the end of the world. I mean, it, you're. You can live with that. Andy Dalton is not an embarrassment as a as a starting quarterback. And certainly, you know, Nick Foles has his limitations. I don't think Andy Dalton has the same limitations. And on top of that, Mitchell Trubisky was absolutely not trusted by the coaching staff, by the play caller uh, the last two seasons there. So they can probably put some trust in Dalton. My problem with him is he has been – to me, he is one of the quarterbacks who is – who has the f- sharpest drop off from clean pockets to having to play in muddy pockets and pressure and that sort of thing. So to get the best out of Andy Dalton, you need to be really good up front. I don't think the Bears are very good up front at all. And I, I just don't think this ends up working when it's all said and done. No, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think about it from a competitive standpoint. 
if you're a GM, unless you just got hired by the Washington football team who hired like nine former GMs in the last two weeks, you're not getting another crack at this. Like Ryan Pace, this is your this is your chance to be a GM in the NFL. Is this how you want to go out? Like that that's what kept sticking in the back of my mind when I saw the Andy Dalton signing, when I saw that they had promised him the starting job. Is this really how you want to go out? Like and I get that you're you know, you're not really in a position, a great position draft wise. You know, you've tried to get Russell Wilson and it didn't work, but like I mean, anything else besides this, like trade for Trace McSorley and run use him like Taysom Hill like do something you know like something else has to be done here in order to mitigate the Andy Daltonness of Andy Dalton you know like it's just <laughs> like you know it, your defense is not good enough anymore I mean you lost Vic Fangio right so your defense is not your defense anymore Cleo Mack's still great but um, that's not enough to win you games and you know Andy Dalton I don't think is enough of an improvement over Mitch Trubisky to win you that many more games and maybe they're saying hey this is the difference between eight and eight and ten and six um, and and we'll take it and 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 that could be the case but like you you, you got to build in some other options here. Like I just, I can't imagine that this is the strategy going forward. That's the weirdest part. They had this sort of, uh, they got a lot of breaks last season. I mean, let's, let's be honest about it. Yeah. They end up making the playoffs when they maybe were more of a six and 10 type of team. And I guess the one thing I'll say in Ryan Pace's defense, and look, I, I, I will not defend his performance as general manager. I don't think it's been a, a particularly strong, but he's probably looking at this and being like, we have to make the playoffs again. We just made the playoffs last year. Like, what, what, what more do you want from us? Like, well, we've been in the playoffs. But when it comes down to it for this Bears team, what they're looking for, uh, even if they don't know it, is that 2018 defense's performance when they were not only dominant, but they took the ball away uh, more than any team in football. They have not been among, uh, I, I don't think they've been even uh, top half of the league in takeaways the last two seasons. So uh, they're going to need a year like that. And it's within the realm of possibility, but you know, there's there's luck involved in that to get 35 turnovers. You know, not only have to be good, you have to catch, catch a couple of breaks as the year goes on and you know it's just sort of it's it's cross your fingers and hope type of team building at this point i suppose but they'll be in the mix i mean you know if you were building out the range of possibilities sure 10 11 wins possible just not very probable i i yeah i mean look at how much better um you know the vikings are not going to be down like they were last year the packers are still going to be great um, the Lions, I would imagine, just by virtue of getting rid of Matt Patricia, are going to be more difficult to beat than they were in the past. Like, that's mm. a team that's going to, like, you know, maybe they'll finish 5-11, and 11, but they'll steal, like, a really annoying game from you that you, that, you know, walk in needing to have. You know, they'll, they'll come out and Dan Campbell will be coaching shirtless on the sidelines and just, like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, just getting everybody all fired up and then you end up losing like nine, seven, you know, or something like that. And, and I think that that's totally possible. So I just don't think any of the parameters are set up for Chicago, um, to just say like, okay, well, this is what we did last year. So we can improve on that a little bit. It's totally different. And to your point, I, I wrote that earlier in the year that the amount of fortuitous circumstances that happened that springboarded the bears into the playoffs was a mind boggling. Like every game, Nick Foles would throw a ball like 
at the end of a game-winning drive that would go through three people's hands or like balls that would like whack off a guy's face mask and then like land in an offensive lineman's hands beyond the first down marker on like a critical fourth down drive. That happened almost every week. <laughs> like there was, you know, the DeAndre Swift drop in the end zone. Like that stuff happened almost every single week and it it blows my mind that, you know, there isn't more of a critical lens kind of looked at that and and you know, Chicago's like, no, we, we had a good year last year, just a little bit better. Like, no, you can't you can't replicate a ball like bouncing off of a guy's shoulder pad and then like onto the outstretched hand of Allen Robinson in the end zone. It's just not a that's not a game plan. It's how you draw it up. Yeah, I, I think the uh, certainly the most accurate thing you said there is uh, they're going to be looking at looking at a lot of nine to seven games in Chicago this year. I think that's what uh, uh, what the formula is going to be out in Washington. The football team lands Ryan Fitzpatrick, and obviously we've been down this road quite a few times with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, I'm fine with this. I, I know a lot of people were kind of pointing and, you know, uh, you know whatever, he, he's the magic's going to run out, he's 38 years old, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this is fine. Like, it, you know, he's a starting caliber quarterback, uh, and he's going to be on a team that has a, a really good supporting cast around him and a really good defense. And much better receivers. You know, signing Curtis Samuel to pair with Terry McLaurin, and you have um, a, a still very good offensive line. You know, you made sure that Brandon Scherf didn't go anywhere in free agency. Um, my criticism there would almost be, like, if I were the Bears, I would have rathered, rathered uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and if I was Washington, I probably would have rathered Andy Dalton. And the reason why is because Washington now has that defense that Chicago had a few years ago, right? And what you would want there is almost a completely turnover agnostic quarterback, like a guy who's going to play uh, the median level of football. Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to give the ball back sometimes, and Andy Dalton will too, but Ryan Fitzpatrick will have games where he'll give it back a lot. And I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick's status on this roster probably means that there is going to be a younger developmental guy coming in. I mean, I just think that he he it's like a it's like an essence that he gives off and the team has to draft another quarterback to try to replace him. But um, I, I think that that's probably the plan for Washington. And, and they'll kind of see where the if the board bears that out. This is a, a, a draft where I think you can do that if you're sitting even in the 20s. Like maybe there's a guy that falls to you that, that is a decent caliber starter. But um, yeah, I, I it was fine. I, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is is totally fine. And you're right. It's just uh, if you're Ron Rivera, can you get him to play the way you want to play so that it's all the good Ryan Fitzpatrick without any of the uh, without any of the disastrous side effects? The guy I wanted the Bears to sign realistically, assuming they couldn't get Russell Wilson or anything like that. Uh, Jacoby Brissett lands in Miami. Now, he's going there as a backup, uh, obviously, but. Uh, look, I personally am not a, a, a Tua believer at this point. I'm open to uh, the scenario where he does have a huge improvement in year two. Uh, I just think there were too many red flags with this play last year. I wasn't crazy about him as a prospect coming out of Alabama anyway. Uh, I'm not saying this is going to be a uh, Fitzpatrick coming in as the closer type of deal with Brissett in Miami, but... Uh, I think this is a great fallback option for the Dolphins if Tua does not take that step forward next season. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, 
And what I like about Brissette too is it's sort of this like it's this dual presence where he's a he's a good guy and he's going to be good to have in that locker room and good to have in that meeting room with Tua. Um, but he's also going to push Tua because he's young and he wants to continue to play in the NFL and he wants another chance to be a starting quarterback. And so that puts the adequate amount of pressure, I think, on on Tua that you would need to put on Brian Flores. And you know, people can say what they will about the way that Flores has handled this, but I love the honesty and openness with which um, and, and, you know, he doesn't come out and say at every press conference, but the deliberateness of his actions are really letting Tua know that, like, hey, I, I don't care how high I drafted you. Like, you you have to play better. And mm-hmm. I think that that's a good precedent to set for the offseason. You know, you didn't re-sign Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, some older person, um, you know, without the same sort of high ceiling. You didn't, you know... You didn't beg Josh McCown to stop coaching for the Texans and to come, you know, be your backup. You know, you didn't do the Mark Sanchez, Mark Brunel thing. You said, no, here's an in-prime guy um, that wants to be a starter again and would like to take your job. So uh, act accordingly. And I think that that's, uh, I think it's a smart thing. Not that I'm saying that Tua needs pushing, um, but like you said, there there were some things that needed to be ironed out last year in a hurry. There were some really beautiful moments too, but, um, you know, that doesn't mitigate um, some of the sloppiness that we saw for sure. And uh, Mitchell Trubisky, not going to be a starter, not going to push Josh Allen in Buffalo, but nice landing spot for him. I, you know, I, we all know he has the traits. Uh, I He's still a long shot to be a quality starter in the league at any point, but if you're going to have a reclamation project, uh, go and do it with Brian Dable. Totally agree. I mean, that's a guy that you would want to uh, to play for. I mean, you know, if I'm Mitch Trubisky, there's probably three or four places that I'd want to go. I'd want to go to the Saints and back up Jameis Winston. I'd want to go to the Rams and back up Matt Stafford, um, the Packers and back up Aaron Rodgers, which is not an option, or um, or the Bills. You know, I think then, and that's uh, those are the places that you would want to go. And so he's in a good spot. I think he's probably destined to float around there um, like a Blake Bortles plus for a couple of years. And, you know, here's hoping that he does get another shot, though. I I think that you and I have both said maybe or or maybe I'm just projecting this on you to make me sound a little less crazy. But there are just some moments where he's on like crazy on. And I think that uh, it makes throws that uh, other quarterbacks aren't going to make in the heat of a game. And I, I don't think I'm ready to give up on that just yet. And, you know, if there's a coach that can figure out how to just keep that going or a team or something, you know, I don't know what the condition or the atmosphere needs to be around him to make it work. But, you know, I I don't know. I I, I just I think he's a good quarterback. I just think some of the things haven't gone exactly the way that he'd hoped. I'm not saying he didn't get a chance. He got plenty of chances. But Mm -hmm. I just, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where sometimes it doesn't work out. Now you get a uh, getting a coach that trusts him is the is the first thing. And look, that just wasn't the situation in Chicago. You could you could tell from the play calling what uh, Matt Nagy thought of Mitchell Trubisky. And uh, (laughs) it wasn't good. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about the receiver market real quick, because I do want to pat myself on the back because I've been saying this for six months. Uh, No one got paid except for Ken Galladay, pretty much. I mean, Curtis Samuel got a decent contract. Corey Davis, Nelson Aguilar got uh, uh, ended up doing pretty well when it was all said and done. But uh, so many of these guys end up having to take one-year prove-it deals. But um, as far as Galladay goes, and you wrote it on uh, SI.com, Connor, Daniel Jones doesn't have excuses anymore. And that sounds a little bit like we're putting Daniel Jones on blast. But uh, 
it's also Daniel Jones had excuses over his first two seasons, and one of them was the lack of a number one weapon. Now he has that in Kenny Galladay. He's entering year three, then he'll have year four. So basically you have two years to uh, evaluate him if you're the Giants, and now you can get a real evaluation on what he's going to be with a sort of full complement of respectable weapons. Yeah, and when I wrote that, I, you know, I, at first it seemed like it came off a little harsh on Jones, but I think I was careful to make the point that this is exactly what the Bills did with Josh Allen too, right? Mm-hmm. Josh Allen before last year didn't have a season where he had a positive yards above replacement. Think about that. And then he was an MVP last year. That's bananas. And, you know, Stefan Diggs had a lot to do with that. Brian Dable had a lot more to do with that. Um, and the offensive line development had something to do with that, too. Um, but I, this is the blueprint, I think. If you're the Giants, if you're unsure of exactly what to do here, you empty the coffers and you get Galladay onto your roster. You pair him with, I mean, you know, how many times are we going to say on paper this time of year, obviously? But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Evan Ingram and Kyle Rudolph are your tight ends, okay? So you don't have to depend on Ingram as much as you have, and he'll get open, and he'll make that big streaky play once a game. Um, you know, you have Sterling Shepard, you have Darius Slayton, you have Kenny Galladay. Like, this is formidable. I'm, I you know, And you pair that with Saquon Barkley, and you could make the argument that they have the best slate of skill position players in the division right now. And with Dallas being a close second, only because they don't have the same upside at tight end. And Ezekiel Elliott is in decline, whereas Saquon Barkley, I still think, has some ascending to do. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I think this is a great move. I mean, I you know, we make fun of Dave Gettleman a lot. I think the letter, Leonard Williams thing was a disaster and continues to be a disaster. Um, but, and you lost Dalvin Tomlinson because of that, which is invariably going to hurt um, Leonard Williams. But... Other than that, I mean, I think you did what you needed to do this this offseason. And who cares if the market was deflated like it was? You pay Galladay. You know, you get him in there, and he's a legitimate number one. And the benefit for Daniel Jones is he's the best contested catch wide receiver in the NFL. So, you know, it makes him look better by comparison. So, you know, I think Daniel Jones is on blast, and I think Jason Garrett's on blast, too. You know, I think that this move now firmly puts the microscope on the two of them because Joe Judge isn't going anywhere. Um, I think he's very well liked there. I think even if he has a bad season next year, they will allow him to move on from the offensive guys um, and get people that he wants in there. And so I, I think this is a good move all around. You have to put push the chips to the center of the table like uh, like they were doing here. Oh, absolutely. This was, a, this was a nice one. And Galladay was the one receiver who got to the open market since Godwin and uh, Allen Robinson got franchise tagged, who uh, was really deserving of this type of money. Really, I, I don't think it was disputable. But uh, yeah, I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster ends up going back to Pittsburgh after all that drama. And uh, I don't know, what's he voting on uh, Sports Illustrated's, uh, you know, uh, Instagram poll or or uh, wherever that was that our colleague Caitlin O'Toole put up. Uh, and then Will Fuller gets a gets a one year deal with deal with Miami. I do want to touch on Will Fuller really quick because Miami was a team that was in on Galladay. I uh, I mean, look, Kenny Galladay is great. So if anyone added him, your team just got better. But I don't think stylistically Galladay is a great fit with Tua. Uh, I think the biggest issue maybe outside of his management within the pocket last year, I thought Tua really struggled to understand, uh, and I'm stealing this phrase, and I think I might be stealing it from uh, Greg Gassell, Uh, he 
really struggle to understand the difference between what's open in college and what's open in the NFL. And Kenny Galladay is not a guy who creates a ton of separation. He's a guy who you, you know, give a chance, you know, he turns a 50-50 ball into a 90-10 ball, and that's how you win. They kind of have that already in Devontae Parker. Will Fuller is a guy who can create separation. He's, uh, I I think, a really nice stylistic compliment to Devontae Parker in Miami. Uh, You know, he'll he'll be serving a suspension early in the year, and and we'll see how this breaks in and ends up working out uh, when it's all said and done. But I think Fuller is a is a Nice fit in Miami, uh, as opposed to having to sort of pay big for Kenny Galladay. Yeah, and you know what was cool about Will Fuller is I went back and I looked at his route charts from Next Gen Stats, and you know there was that whole I think that whole thing where he was pushing to become more of an alpha wide receiver going into last year, and he wanted to be a more complete wide receiver, especially since DeAndre Hopkins wasn't going to be there. And some of his best games were the games where that route chart didn't resemble just those straight verts anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. like when he was starting to do some of the in breaking stuff, when he was you know the more that you saw him in different spots in the field those are those six catch 140 yard games you know the you know the five catch 100 yard games and so I think that's encouraging if you're Miami I don't know if you'll use him the same way um you know I, I don't know if Tua will be able to use him the same way as Deshaun Watson obviously but um I, I think it's interesting and I think it's worthwhile especially on a 10 on a ten, one year 10 million dollar flyer like why not? You know, you have the cap mm-hmm. space and, you know, it's going to clear right off the books next year. If you love them, you keep them. But, you know, I I, I, I think it's a great deal. Yeah. Juju goes back on a one year deal with the Steelers after, um, again, just all this drama and where is he going to go and where is he going to land? Um, I think Juju is a high end number two as opposed to a, a true number one. And I think that's why he ultimately didn't get paid here. But uh, he's on this one year, eight million dollar deal. And. That is kind of disappointing for him, but also because he was on that rookie deal before. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, what, what is this? What was it? What were his career earnings the first four years? I'm bringing it up right now. Uh, yeah, so he's making twice as much in 2021 as he did over his first four seasons combined, um, which I guess is something of a happy ending. Once again, it's sort of a, <laughs> a an example of why the rookie wage scale is a little bit absurd, but uh, that's neither here nor there for for now. It's there all the time, but not for the show, I guess. Uh, I, let's. I'm just curious. You know, we. Why did he turn down Baltimore? <laughs> like you know, I, and unless the money was. Uh, not reported as such, but you know what's out there from you know Adam Schefter and some of the insider guys is that he left like a couple million dollars on the table to play with Ben Roethlisberger. And if you're hoping that this springboards you into the contract uh, next year when uh, the salary cap is back up to a manageable place, wouldn't you rather Lamar Jackson? I don't know. I would rather Lamar Jackson. I get it though. If you're there's a comfort level thing. He did have a big year two years ago with Ben, and maybe he's sort of <laughs> remembering that and and thinking we're going to get back to the old days where uh, where I you know put up fourteen hundred receiving yards and that sort of thing. So, uh, uh yeah, I, I I don't I don't. I don't want to second guess him. It's, it's what he's comfortable with. And if you go to a new team, oh, look, maybe the chemistry's not there with Lamar. Maybe Marquise Brown emerges as, as a force next year and Mark Andrews and you end up being third in the pecking order there, uh, which he might be in Pittsburgh anyway. But um, 
Yeah, not 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 the choice I would have made, but not my choice to make. No one wanted to sign me this offseason, so. Yeah, me neither. Rough. Ah, <sighs> disappointing. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about the Raiders and what's what's going on there. I am going to start this with an impassioned defense of John Gruden, and then you can tear it down. Uh, yeah, well, I'm gonna log off. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> I'll say this. It's not going to be an impassioned defense, but I will say this in general. I think a lot of people are wringing their hands over um, losing. Ultimately, they end up being trades, so they did bring back draft picks for uh, Rodney Hudson and Gabe Jackson. And, you know, a lot of people wring their hands over, you know, this this great offensive line that sort of got uh, taken apart here. I think this offensive line has been quite overrated over the last five years. I think it's been a good line. I don't think it's a great line. I think both those guys were aging. I think if maybe one of those moves was made, we would, you know, raise your eyebrows a little bit and then sort of go on with your life. The fact that it sort of came in clumps here is a little more um, alarming. (laughs) We'll say that. But uh, I think there were a couple of years where you know, I, I I call it the Donald Penn effect. Donald Penn was a solid left tackle for the Raiders. He was touted because his sack numbers were so good. He was touted as his franchise, uh, you know, foundational piece for the Raiders where he just wasn't. The reason they don't give up many sacks uh, with this team is, is Derek Carr gets the ball out so quickly. Now, that's changed a little bit over the last couple of years with Gruden coming in and, and putting in something a little more... Uh, forward thinking than sort of the the pure quick strike stuff they were doing under Todd Downing, but it was not particularly challenging to pass protect for Derek Carr over the years, and I think people sort of got these numbers skewed. I mean, Rodney Hudson was a really, really good center. I don't know if you are really having the drop-off that people think they're going to have with him, and they, look, they they like their guy, Andre James, and we're going to find out whether they're right or not. I just think it's a weird time to uh, to do this, and I just think that you're not maximizing any of the resources, and so n- none of the thing, none of the plans that they have seem to be coming together. Now, if there if there are offensive linemen that are waiting in the wings here that they've had and developed at some point that uh, you know nobody's talking about, then that's great. Um, then I think that Gruden pulls one over on the rest of us, and uh, and and legitimizes a lot of the moves that he's made but you go back to the whole way and reason that you're building this is to maximize guys like josh jacobs and then you sign Kenyon drake for some very strange reason and i i don't see how you made your offensive line better to to be hospitable to these guys and uh you know, I, it just seems like someone tweeted this, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Is like there is no plan in Vegas. There is Gruden and Mayock talking about guys that they like and just signing them and then hoping that it all works out. And I think that that seems to be the case. Um, my problem is that there's so many excuses floated around, you know, when they cut Rodney Hudson, um, when they traded Trent Brown, you know, all that stuff. Um, oh, what's well, a cash flow issue in Oakland or in Vegas? They don't have any money to pay these guys. Well, then why are you paying your coach a hundred million dollars? Um, and he can't get this team to the playoffs in three years. So I just think that there's a lot of, um, backwards thinking, uh, there. I, I don't think that this team can, is, is there an argument that you can make legitimately that this team got better this offseason? Do you think? 
like net from what they did, but the bringing the guys in that they did, that they're better than the eight and eight team that they finished last year as in Josh Jacobs and Kenya Drake, you have two guys who are top 30 fantasy picks last year. So take that. The Kenyon Drake thing was, point. was was confusing, um, and again, look, this is not make or break money, and and we're gonna we're gonna probably criticize some of these deals going forward, uh, and and saying like, oh, I can't believe you know Nelson Aguilar got X amount of money. This is you know it's not the end of the world if Kenyon Drake ends up being a kind of okay number two running back, but it's just weird that that's where your cap savings went to in part. Yes. Yeah. Um, but again, it's like, okay, Kenyon Drake is billed now as the Joker back that Gruden has been promising to develop for the last three years and has not been able to do. And I don't know. Uh, I, I think at some point somebody's just going to have to look at all this and say, is it really worth it? What coach would still be there other than John Gruden, given all that has happened <laughs> in the Antonio yeah. Brown thing? Uh, the Khalil Mack trade, the Amari Cooper trade. What coach would still be there after three years and no playoffs besides John Gruden? Bill, I was going to say Bill Belichick. Um, yeah. No, look, this was this was Mark Davis's uh, dream hire for so many years, and it's just how it's going to be there. And look, we're going to see the product on the field again, and if they miss the playoffs again, it's going to be really interesting uh, what Mark Davis does with this team going forward. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a little bit strange that they tweak the offense so aggressively and uh, defensively. Look, their biggest signing in the offseason is Yannick Ngakwe. Ngakwe is exactly what they needed. I've been saying Ngakwe is a difference maker, a guy who forces turnovers both because of his pressure and literally forces them uh, through uh, through forced fumbles. Only uh, Khalil Mack has more forced fumbles than Ngakwe over the past five seasons. Uh, and he just, you know, he fits. It's what they were supposed to be getting in Cleveland Farrell, and they just uh, they just haven't. And now they get the edge burner in Ngakwe, and uh, maybe maybe Pharrell ends up kicking inside, and they they get some stuff going there. But uh, the back end of this defense is just so so very questionable, and they've really made the investment in it, and it just hasn't worked out. So I I don't know if this defense is no good again, uh, and now your offense is going through a retooling. It just seems like it adds up to something between seven and nine and nine and seven again. Yeah, and uh, and then we'll get ready for this. You know, not even the the second half of this contract. You know, <laughs> the end of the first half of the contract. God, it's like being at the. You know, what's the worst long movie that you've ever seen? Like a movie that was very, very, very long and very, very, very bad. Uh, a little bit cliche, but I'd probably say The Postman, Kevin Costner, mm. just went say, on. I would say The, uh, did you ever see The Place Beyond the Pines with Bradley Cooper and, uh, uh what's his name? The good looking guy from, uh, Ryan Gosling. No. How old is that movie? Uh, I think it came out when we were in college and it was like this epic that this like sprawling epic that like 
took place over the course of like three hours where like Bradley Cooper was like a cop that turned in dirty cops and then became a DA and his son befriended the son of Ryan Gosling is like a a guy who used to ride a motorcycle inside cages at the circus. (laughs) And then like somehow it all just sort of comes together. um, And uh, at the end, and it's just so bad. And I think I went with some of my friends and some of them had fallen asleep in the middle or like the beginning of the movie when like and then woke up at the end and they're like what is going on like this is this makes no sense and uh yeah that was a bad so it's like that's what the raiders contract is to me it's the place beyond the pines where like you know you're only halfway through and you're looking at your watch and you're like oh boy you know this is uh is this this second half gonna be better yeah we, we got a long way to go here Let's hope for some reason, like, Christopher Walken shows up and spices this thing up. (laughs) This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Well, look, another team that completely reset itself on one side of the ball, the Tennessee Titans. Uh, this was, again, uh, we'll see if these additions fit. There's a lot of stuff that, uh, I don't know, will just play itself out on the field. I'm just bummed about this one because a couple of years ago, I thought they had the best secondary in football, at least the most underrated secondary in football. And now, like, except for Kevin Byard, literally all these dudes are gone. No more Dory Jackson. They let him go. Uh, no more Malcolm Butler. They let him go. Logan Ryan had left last offseason. And uh, Kenny Vaccaro is out too. So uh, it's uh, what they were doing last year didn't work. They haven't had a pass rush. And they sort of said, okay, well, we're going to basically hit the reset button on this defensive backfield, and we are going to sign Bud Dupree to a very large contract coming off the torn ACL. And I really like Bud Dupree as sort of a number two pass rusher, but I don't know if he is, I don't know if he's a difference maker. I think, I think Ngakwe is a difference maker. I think Watt, uh, even at this point in his career, is still a difference maker. I don't know if Dupree is. Yeah, it's in, it's going to be interesting. I mean, this was a big offseason for sacks in context, right, and pressures in context, like Trey Hendrickson in Cincinnati as well, and, uh, you know, why they did what they did there. And I think that Dupree, you're right, I mean, is a good player. I think he can create, um, you know, havoc in the backfield. But, you know, how do you remove him from kind of that orchestra that he was playing in in Pittsburgh? Now, are there teams that can replicate that Pittsburgh defense better than others just by virtue of their schematic wisdom, the Titans are one of those teams. I think Mike Vrabel and his staff are good enough to be able to kind of figure out some of the simulated pressure stuff to be able to incorporate a lot of that and make Bud mm-hmm. Dupree the centerpiece of that. But do you have enough to to really make it work, to make it work in the way that you want to make it work? And I guess the argument is you have to at least start trending in that direction right you got to sign someone like Dupree because you need somebody to create that pressure and so we'll see what happens but Titans were interesting to me because you lose uh, you know you take a lot of hits on the offensive side of the ball too you lose your offensive coordinator you know and uh, you know at some point your factor back who's getting 400 carries a season is going to need you know some assistance there too and so you know there there wasn't a lot of focus you lost your number two wide receiver you lost your top receiving tight end um and so it's like oh oh boy you know like what is the plan here you know titans got quietly kind of pilfered this offseason a little bit they did yeah Corey davis out uh adam humphreys they let go of humphreys obviously uh missed the second half of last season with a concussion he was a big free agent signing a couple years ago johnny smith is out um, and as far as this defensive backfield now, they uh, they also, uh, Desmond King signed with the Texans, so they lo- they lose him as well. He was sort of the fill-in for Logan Ryan at the trade deadline last year and the move they made. But uh, Kevin Johnson and Janoris Jenkins are the two guys they brought in who, they're both just sort of cross your fingers. Maybe you get a, uh, again, I think they fall into that category of like, if you're ranking the cornerbacks in the league, cornerback 30 through cornerback 90, uh, you could shuffle in any way depending on the year. It's just so volatile year to year. So Kevin Johnson, Janoris Jenkins, possibly uh, serviceable starters behind what they're hoping is uh, a really good pass rush because that pass rush, as we always say, that pass rush makes your secondary better if it works. It hasn't worked the last couple of years. So I yeah. don't know. That's a, that's, that's, that's a lot going on in Nashville right now. Yeah, I mean, and 
you can see by some of the behavior of, you know, like Jacksonville, for example, who's kind of pushing the chips to the center of the table and they're making some big free agent acquisitions. I think that you're seeing that teams are sensing a window to be able to compete there with Houston down um, with uh, with everything that's going on in that division. And now Tennessee, I mean, I I just think it's going to be impossible for them to replicate the success that they've had the last two years um, without seeing some sort of a minor uh, speed bump there. Then again, Mike Vrabel is is the is the it factor yeah. there. If, if you can get these guys to play together, like you know, we could be looking at this off season as as pure brilliance at some point. I mean, you know, teams shed familiar players. They let they get rid of guys, and some teams do get better. And you know, John Robinson's a good GM, so we'll see what happens. They do. It is a bit of a reminder that uh, look, these teams know their own players better than anyone. So uh, when you let a guy go, you presumably know what you're doing better than anyone else would. And again, we'll see it on the field. And and Mike Vrabel has really overachieved with uh, uh, with this team the last couple of years. And we'll see if he can he can work it again here. Uh, the Chiefs, uh, we all scratch our heads when they let go of both Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, and they have not address the offensive tackle position, but they end up getting Joe Tooney here to, uh, I guess the way you would build this interior offensive line, Joe Tooney at center, Kyle Long at, uh, uh, what, Long at right guard, Duvernay Tardif at left guard. Yeah, which is good. You know, yeah. and then you know, Remmers comes back, prob- presumably to play right tackle. I know his agent had tweeted that um, th- that the deal was done. Uh, you know, with the understanding that he was going to be a starter, and then I guess you make sense out of the fact that they had made a run at Trent Williams on the left side, and that was going to kind of be their plan A. Um, and you know, plan B might be. I mean, who knows? Maybe one of these two guys comes back on a lower deal, or one of these guys reworks their contract, or or they do trade for somebody before the draft, which I don't think would be overly surprising to me. But um, there's still that anchor spot that needs to get taken care of of an anchor and air quotes because, you know, do you feel good enough about what happened there, um, you know, during the Super Bowl to to bring Remmers back? Obviously they do. um, And and we'll see what happens from there. But it is interesting. I mean, the the interior of the offensive line got a pass in the Super Bowl, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of us watched that game and and just how ungodly bad it was on the edges with Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett crashing there. But and Dominican Sue was a factor, Uh, you know, uh, (laughs) Vita Vea, Vita Vea was you know, a line. monster. Yeah. And so I think that you have to get better across the board there. So uh, again, that's another classic example of us seeing something in a, in a small window and being surprised at, at what happened versus a team, you know, probably knowing going in that they didn't just have problems in one spot. Yeah. And at the time of taping, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz still free agents. So within the realm of possibility, they bring either guy back. And I will say, we have not said this about the draft in a really long time, but it's a pretty deep offensive tackle group. And you could actually get a guy in the late first round this year and and possibly make it work. So uh, they have some options there in Kansas City. And and frankly, if you're paying Patrick Mahomes, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world to land an offensive tackle who can hold down the fort and also not make very much money while doing it. And we'll, uh, we'll see how the plays out. Obviously there's, there's risk when you plug a rookie in there, but uh, if they go that direction, that might be the risk they have to take here. Uh, 
it seems like it was 40 years ago that the Patriots made all these signings, but we'll touch on them now. They probably were the most prominent story in free agency this year. And I do want to start off by by once again pointing out the reason teams spend big in free agency is they they had bad drafts is what it comes down to. They didn't have to sign their own guys. If you look at the Patriots draft uh, track record here from 27 to 2020, you could argue it's it's the worst in the league. I mean, it's it's one of the worst runs of all time draft wise. And that's why they sort of had to go out and spend this money on these guys. Now, who they spent it on is interesting. I uh, will start on the defense side of the ball. I think Matt Judon is absolutely a perfect Belichick guy. I think he's a guy who only fit. I shouldn't say only fits. He's he's a good player. But when you plug him in with some of these, uh, uh, you know, more more creative, more multiple defenses that sort of ask a lot of different things out of the guys, whether it be in Baltimore or New England. I mean, you can sort of count those kind of defenses on one hand. Uh, Judon is your guy. I think Judon absolutely fits there. Jalen Mills to me, I'm not a big Jalen Mills guy, but the Patriots have certainly had uh, success converting some of these cornerbacks to safeties and doing some of these matchup uh, zone coverages here. So uh, they saw something in Jalen Mills that I didn't. And Bill Belichick arguably knows more about football than I do. Yeah. Well, it's close between the two you guys, I would say. Yes, Very close. Yes. Um, but yeah, it, it's weird. Like I, I think initially that first wave uh, of free agency when it passed through, I think I rationalized it. Like I rationalized everything Bill Belichick does as an act of genius, you know. And and then you slowly have to realize that he's human, like everybody else. And and maybe there is a, a hint of desperation in some of these moves. However. I think that Bill Belichick would have been almost as active as he is now if these same players were on the market in a different scenario. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to get... Like, the tight end market is taking off, um, but you got two guys uh, below the going rate um, that you could argue are uh, among the top tight ends. I mean, they're not George Kittle um, and they're not Travis Kelsey, but they're, they probably sit right underneath there if you use them correctly, right? And so you got two of them below the going rate there. You got Matt Judon way below the going rate um, for a versatile edge rush guy. Um, and so I think anybody that sees sort of the inefficiencies there in the market is going to pounce. And you could argue that, you know, Belichick was seven and nine um, without a quarterback, essentially, last year. They're running like a 1940s, you know, option offense to try to shove the ball down the field. And they still were pretty good. I mean, you know, they were a couple bad bounces away from making the playoffs, you could argue. And so, you know, it's not like this team needed to be overhauled. But, you know, I think he's also just he's compiling pieces, right? You need some of these guys. And, you know, it makes sense to take advantage of a down market. And so I don't know on one hand is it that their roster got so bad and so creaky that this is what you have to do or is it you know there's still good players there but he's just taking advantage of uh, of a good situation the tight ends are interesting just because they drafted the two of them last year and obviously they, they're not yeah. bullish on either one and rightfully so sometimes you miss on uh day two picks here uh i will say this Look, Andy Benoit and I used to talk about this all the time. There are only like, I don't know, eight to 10 teams who truly understand how to use tight ends and how to maximize their tight ends and their offense. And the Patriots are one of them. So they bring in both these guys. Look, I know a lot of people didn't watch a whole lot of uh, Johnu Smith the last couple of years. He's really good. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, the contract suggests that, but. 
I, I think people don't realize how good he is as a blocker. He is one of the tight ends in the league where you can you can run behind him. And he's not Gronk level, but I would certainly call him one of the top 10 blocking tight ends in the league. I think between him and Henry and what you're going to do with Cam Newton as your quarterback, presuming Cam Newton is your quarterback, we'll see if they bring in another guy in the draft. But uh, this is built to sort of maximize what they have in Cam Newton. And I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be much better. I think Kendrick Bourne is really interesting. I'm not super high on him, but if you're going to go run heavy and you want sort of that, uh, uh, you know, sort, sort of that uh, blocker on the perimeter, Bourne definitely fits the bill there. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, look, Nelson Aguilar was good last year. I don't mind the drops over the years. I, I don't think anyone should. Uh, I think he creates separation, which is what's important for a receiver, uh, especially after seeing what the Patriots have had the last couple of years. So, uh, yeah, they probably overpaid Nelson Aguilar, but again, you know, 16 million guaranteed when he probably should have gotten like 8 million guaranteed. That's, that's not gonna, that's not gonna cause your franchise to crumble one way or another. No, no. And so I, I think it's, you know, we'll see what happens. I, again, like the bears, right. Uh, you, you would hope that Cam Newton is not the extent of the plan unless Cam Newton is a lot health. Like they, they know something about his health. Um, you know, the incentive laden deal would uh, certainly hint that Newton himself knows a little bit more uh, about what he's capable of this year and what he can do in that offense. But, you know, you wonder where some of these cards are going to fall at some point so that a lot of these moves make sense. Like, um, I think it was uh, Chris Price over at the Boston Globe who dug up um, some really glowing Garoppolo quotes on, on, on Bourne. And so is that one of those guys that, you know, Garoppolo's like, yeah, let's get this piece in place because I know I'm coming over here. I don't know. I mean, him and Belichick are obviously still close. Um, and so uh, it, that makes these moves make a lot more sense. I don't know if having Nelson Aguilar really matters if you have Cam Newton at this point in his career, if his shoulder is what it is at this point. So who knows? Uh, we'll see where... Uh, uh, how kind of the world comes into view at this point, but you had a chance to get better. The only move that I hated was Aguilar, uh, to disagree with you a little bit. You're paying him $2 million less a year than Devontae Adams, and granted, Devontae Adams is criminally underpaid, but um, that's too much for Nelson Aguilar. Uh, I, I just, and I don't think that they're going to be able to use him um, in, in the way that would maximize that, that deal. Yeah. No, I, I think the contract value is not good, but uh, I don't, I don't mind the player. I mean, what do we have him ranked? Some like ninth among receivers. So uh, he wouldn't have been my first choice. I would have rather had a uh, a Will Fuller or a Curtis Samuel or whoever you might uh, have have shoveled that money toward. But you know, I I guess my point is these these overpays are relatively small when it comes right down to it, especially when the cap starts growing again. Uh, and I don't think we're going to be looking back and saying like, boy, the Patriots, you know, if only they hadn't signed Aguilar to this big deal, they'd be able to do X, Y or Z. I, I think we just shrug our shoulders and say, oh, yeah, he's a he's a little bit overpaid in the end, I guess. Uh, but I'm I'm also not getting any on anyone for taking too much money at this point, especially in this offseason. Right. It's a nice story. It's a feel good story. Heartwarming. Yeah. Got a lot. Uh, let's hit the uh let's hit the jaguars real quick because they had sort of a i i would consider this a connoisseur's free agency class here uh shaquille griffin we both like shaquille griffin and they bring him in and i i think that was kind of a uh i don't want to say no-brainer but you can see why they wanted shaquille griffin he's a good player they need cornerbacks and uh that's why they signed him the guys who i think are a little bit 
uh, more difficult to figure out here. Uh, Rayshon Jenkins, who I'm not wild about coming from the Chargers. I thought that was a bit of a head scratcher if you were going to spend in what was a pretty good safety market here. Um, Roy Robertson Harris. I I just want to I want to basically make an excuse for myself and and try to sound smarter than I actually am. When we first put together those free agency rankings, Connor, I had Roy Robertson Harris something like ninth among interior defensive linemen. But as I sort of read up and sort of looked at his injury problems last year and and that sort of stuff, I was kind of like, you know what? We got to bump it down. I think I had him like 24th when it was all said and done. Uh, I think if he hit the market a year ago, he would have gotten paid a lot. I didn't think he'd get much this offseason, but the Jaguars end up giving him a pretty significant deal for a guy uh, from Chicago that really a lot of people don't know because he just wasn't on the field a lot last year. Yeah, it's an interesting move. I mean, I guess it's sort of indicative of what Urban Meyer sees and 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 mm-hmm. what he hopes his defense looks like. And that's always been sort of the really interesting thing about when you see college coaches um, matriculate to the NFL level, and it was really fascinating to watch Matt Rule do this last year too, is like, what do you prioritize? And what do you, and, and what do you think you want? What do you need? And how much different are your expectations of free agency than reality? Because, you know, you have Trent Baalke, and so he has the relationships there, and he can help on that end. But, you know, are you ending up with the guys that you actually wanted, which you'll never say that you're not, or are you struggling and overpaying and clawing and fighting and, you know, having to trade valuable assets to get the players that you want? I don't know. You know, um, the NFL is like anything else. It's like a click. And so getting involved in something like this, it doesn't surprise me that they maybe had to overpay for one or two guys because you don't have those built in relationships yet. And there is that unfamiliarity, you know, guys maybe don't want to go down there and play for urban Meyer, especially if you're on defense, because you don't know what the hell it's going to look like. And, you know, you're kind of basing the next few years of your life on the fact that you're going to play well in this system. They also add Marvin Jones. I'm big into stylistic compliments among receivers. So I love that with a uh, DJ shark. And, uh, as we already knew last week, Cam Robinson will be retained there. So, uh, Trevor Lawrence comes in. He's got uh, some weapons. He's got a pretty okay line. And I, uh, we'll see what Urban Meyer can do in the NFL. Uh, it's not always a, a one-to-one transition for these guys who have success at the college level, as we know. But um, It's never a one-to-one transition. For these it's, <laughs> one time it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's... Wait, uh, what, what is the one time? Uh, Pete Carroll. Okay. Old Pete and- Carroll. In 2013, Chip <laughs> Kelly, I guess you could say. There you go. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's going to be interesting there, Jacksonville. And like we we said when we were uh, uh, discussing uh, the Titans a little while ago, it's kind of a wide open AFC South at this point. I think the Colts are still the class of that division, but uh, I could see the Jaguars making a making a big jump here, maybe surprising some people in 2021. Uh, but no one will surprise people like uh, our favorite team of this free agency class, the champions of free agency, because they signed, they signed one of your favorites and they signed one of my favorites and uh, the New York jets. They must've listened to last week's podcast and just like been frantically Joe Douglas, just frantically taking notes on what we were saying because, Oh my God, uh, Connor and Gary love Jared Davis. <laughs> Jared, in your defense, when Jared Davis is a complete bust, once again, you did not sign off on Jared Davis. Jared Davis is, is my guy, and I will uh, I, I will take the brunt of the criticism when he continues to struggle desperately in coverage. But uh, 
I do like Jared Davis. I love the thought of Jared Davis playing in this Robert Sala defense where uh, it's just going to free him up a little bit. It, it, it just, he reminds me so much of Quan Alexander, though I think he's a better athlete than Quan Alexander is. And uh, just, I, I don't know. It, I just can't believe it went so poorly for him in Detroit. Uh, but though I guess it went poorly for everyone in Detroit, but uh, they also added Sheldon Rankins, your guy, which is, I mean, this is, this is a Super Bowl formula now. <laughs> Here's what I'll say about Jared Davis, um, in, in in terms of his coverage, right? Because I think that sometimes those stats are fundamentally flawed, and there were years where he was actually good in coverage too. I talked to a coach a couple of years ago, um, after they played the Lions, and he said that. We were completely blown away by how disorganized that defense was to the point where we were running the same play over and over again and they just weren't moving guys over to stop it. And yes. I'm, you know, and the coach was like, I'm sitting there on the sideline thinking, this is Matt Patricia. Like, isn't he, the, isn't this the guy that's going to figure all this out? And they were just gouging them over and over and over again. And so I think that you have to take that into the proper context with, um, uh, um, with Jared Davis, like, you know, he might've been out of position in a situation that wasn't necessarily his fault. You know what I mean? And so, and you go to this solid defense where again, with, with the import of Sheldon Rankins, your defensive line gets better. Um, I think that you're able to play a little bit more free as a linebacker and solid. Just that's what he wants him to do. He wants Jared Davis to be nuts and to just blow guys up. And I think that, you know, that's sort of what he was looking for in a middle linebacker. And, you know, kudos to Joe Douglas. I think that he's done a better job than anybody with the exception of maybe, you know, I think you probably overpaid for Corey Davis a bit and I know you're not going to be able to use them exactly the right way. Um, but with with the exception of that, I think that you really did a nice job of kind of plucking these guys like Rankins, like Davis, who had a high pedigree, who got lost in a system or got bogged down because of injury, but are now healthy and ready enough to contribute. So I, I, I like the moves. Yeah, I uh, I also love Keelan Cole. He was one of my uh, he was in my free agency babies here and uh, uh, they add him as well. And yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. Look, Corey Davis and Keelan Cole, they're definitely upgrades over last year's receiving core. I think you still need that true number one guy, and I don't think they have that unless Denzel Mims really blossoms or Davis becomes something a little bit better than than we thought he was after seeing him in Tennessee for uh, for four years here. And then Carl Lawson is the is the big addition on the defensive side of the ball, even bigger than Jared Davis. And uh, so now they, they have an edge rush presence. I mean, Lawson should be perfect for that uh, wide nine stuff that, that Salah likes to run in front of that uh, in front of that defensive backfield and they go and scoop up LaMarcus Joyner too who I think had something left in the tank he was obviously a disappointment with the Raiders and I understand why they let him go but uh, I think he can still play and I just think they just added a lot of guys who can who can play and they brought in a coach who can coach and I think things are are looking relatively up for the Jets. You heard it here first players who can play coaches who can coach your new look New York Jets. <laughs> it's also it's also I'm sure there are plenty of GMs uh, after after hearing this uh, frantically jotting that note down players who can play coaches who can coach we got to figure this stuff out um, <sighs> you know it's it's interesting though I mean I, I will say that at some point Joe Douglas's honeymoon period will end as general manager and like his signings will not be roundly praised um, like they were but 
this is a good offseason. This is as good of an offseason, I think, if you're the Jets, as you would have hoped. Look at the guys they're bringing in. You know, Sal is a big part of this on the recruiting front, right? He's a guy that people want to play for, and that helps on the defensive side of the ball. But you're also getting decent receivers, and they have no idea who your quarterback is going to be. And if, at you know, there's a, a scenario where it's probably just Sam Darnold, you know? And uh, and that's not attractive to a lot of guys, but uh, it, I, I think they did a really nice job of not really drastically overpaying anyone. The Corey Davis deal was uh, was good. It was thick, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't disastrous. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think they had a nice little offseason. Yeah, I will say a lot of these deals that came through this year, uh, my rule of thumb is basically the guys at the top of the market tend to get what amounts to a three-year contract when it's all said and done with all the fake years at the back end and all that stuff. Uh, a lot of these look like two-year deals, though, which is which is less than three. Yeah, that was Rankins. Rankins signed a two-year deal um, with some upside there for production numbers, but that that just seems to be how he wants to be structuring these deals this offseason. But it's interesting. Um, you know. And again, I think the buy-low aspect of this, some of these guys are going to hit, I mean, just by nature of that. But I think that you're giving yourself a much better chance with the relative age, the relative health of most of these guys, I think, you know, bodes well that, you know, you're, you're going to get something out of these guys. All right, Connor, to wrap up the show here, we are going to rapid fire the moves that we liked by uh, just sort of frantically running through the free agency tracker on SI.com. And, and by the way, the tracker is still going. If you want to see who's left out there on the market and keep track of that, uh, Connor's also got free agency grades he's got free agency winners and losers for the first week it's it's just it's it's a bonanza right now on si.com uh and the mmqb but uh let's uh let's hit these we did the quarterbacks so nothing else to discuss there uh the running backs look i i I think chris carson's so underrated i love the fact that seattle was able to bring him back i thought seattle made a couple of nifty moves I thought Philip Lindsay was a really nice addition for the Texans here. We don't say a whole lot of nice things about the Texans. I was shocked that the uh, the Broncos let Lindsay go and uh, just see him sort of get scooped up for a really reasonable rate. Um, I think Philip Lindsay is better than Melvin Gordon. I don't think that. I know Philip Lindsay is better than Melvin Gordon, and I think Philip Lindsay is better than Kenyon Drake. Interesting. Um, yeah, I. You do love Chris Carson. I, I would uh I would I would say that that is palpable. Um it was palpable at our rankings. Um but you know this offensive you know, this running back class didn't blow me away. I don't think that there's really at the end of the day a, a ton of upside there, but I don't know. I I mean I hated the Kenyon Drake signing. Uh the, the Chris Carson thing if you're Seattle, I thought that there were some interesting ways you could have gone there. You probably could have gone in another direction. Um but I don't know. I, I want to see where some of these other guys land too. As of the recording of this podcast, you know, playoff Lenny is still out there. So, you know, that's that's really the guy that I want to see. I want to see more playoff Lenny. <laughs> There you go. Uh, receivers, we we hit a lot of the receivers here. I, I love the Samuel deal. I think Will Fuller made a ton of sense in Miami. Um, 
I do want to give a shout out, as I always do, to Prashad Perriman. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Perriman to get his big contract here. I guess it's just never going to come. He gets one year, three million in Detroit. Uh, it'll just never happen for him. Uh, I wanted to ask you, though, what you think of the A.J. Green signing, because I am not bullish on the A.J. Green signing in that system. I think Green is at a point in his career where he needs a system that can uh, help him out a little bit. I think it's just too much uh having to win one on one in this uh, in this Cardinals offense. So, I would say this. No receiver in the NFL created less separation than AJ Green last year. Um while still having like more than 30% of the team's air yards. So, that was a disaster. Was it a disaster because he just didn't want to be in Cincinnati anymore and he was sick of playing for like, you know, Ryan Finley and um you know, Zach Taylor in this offense? I think that's totally plausible. You know, hated being on the franchise tag, all that stuff. But, you know, is he going to come down to Arizona and be 2011 A.J. Green again? No, I don't think so. And, you know, you're basically making him a one-for-one replacement for Larry Fitzgerald, theoretically. And Larry Fitzgerald did a lot of dirty work in that offense. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Did a lot of dirty work in that offense. And, you know, maybe the the book on that was really more true when Bruce Arians was there and less so um, when Cliff Kingsbury was there. But I, I don't know. I, I'm not uh, I'm not blown away by it. I think if I were them, I would have been more inclined to use some of that capital and sort of make a run at the Browns for Odell Beckham or, um, you know, like you, you need that kind of guy if you want to turn that offense from what it should be um, or what it is uh, to what it should be. And I just don't think AJ Green's the guy that's going to get you there. Hitting the tight ends who obviously the Patriots signed all of them. Uh, <laughs> I, I do want to highlight, look, Gerald Everett is not in the class of uh, the two guys who landed in New England, and he's not on the Gronkowski class. We all knew that Gronk was going to end up back with uh, Tampa Bay, even though the Bills made a run at him. But uh, look, I thought Gerald Everett was was a very logical sort of high upside signing here for Seattle. I, I kind of like what Seattle did here. Uh, we're we're going to hit a couple more later, but uh, I thought this made a lot of sense for them. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought that they should have been, I think Seattle still should be involved in, in discussions there, but they've, they've made no secret about their desperation for, um, for a long-term option there at tight end. You know, they just haven't had the guy um, really since Jimmy Graham left. But even when Jimmy Graham was there, it wasn't something that really necessarily worked out for them. So, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I thought it was a nice, uh, nice option there. Um, especially since Belichick came out and hungry, hungry hippo to all the other guys. So really not much else you can do there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the offensive tackles here, uh, Trent Williams, good for the 49ers for getting this done. And, and he gets a, a contract that he deserves, even though he is a, a little bit advanced age, turning a 33 here. Um, the other one I liked, uh, Kelvin Beecham. I don't know why no one just doesn't lock up Kelvin Beecham. I love Kelvin Beecham. I know he's aging and... That's that's the way it goes, but I think he's been really good uh, the last couple of seasons since uh, the Steelers let him go, and he was really good last year for the Cardinals. Yeah, another guy who has come in and has been the best player on a lot of bad offensive lines since he left Pittsburgh, and so I guess you have to take that into consideration, but great locker room guy too, a guy that can come in and really kind of help a coach uh, accomplish what he wants to accomplish, so 
yeah, I thought that was um, I thought that was a good option. I mean, offensive line was really one of the few positions that retained its value in free agency as a whole. I mean, Corey Lindsley's contract reset the center market. Um, Joe Tooney was able to reset the interior offensive line market, and Trent Williams was able to reset the tackle market. So, um, really, it shows the importance in general um, of that. But to your point about Kelvin Beecham, the importance of nailing guys like that, because you can't, you know, there is no more dream team offensive line. You're going to have to have two or three guys that you're paying dirt money uh, and, and they're playing uh, really good football for you. I will say the offensive line class, uh, the biggest head scratcher of this first week of free agency was the Panthers ended up getting one of my favorite values at, at edge Hassan Reddick on a one year, $8 million deal, which is a great value there. They they're giving 8 million guaranteed to Cameron Irving. I, I couldn't believe that. And I couldn't believe the Pat Elfline signing for 6 million guaranteed. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I don't think either of those guys are starters in this league and they're, I guess going to be starting for Carolina, but those two signings happened, and it was like, oh my goodness, this is what's going on there in Carolina. But then they scoop up Hassan Reddick. It's like, oh well, that'll that'll kind of make up for it. Yeah, Hassan Reddick can play left tackle. Um, yeah. No, but uh, <laughs> Matt Rule's offensive line evaluations have been puzzling since moment one. Really, since he's gotten into the NFL, first thing he did was uh, deal Trey Turner. You know, and. Uh, I, he just looks at things a little differently. I don't know if that's Joe Brady's influence. I don't know if Brady wants a certain kind of guy, but um, I don't know if that's Fitterer in the front office saying that, hey, we need to kind of allocate some of these uh, funds elsewhere. But Rule has just been interesting. Like, I, I don't know what I, I can't get a beat on what he wants uh, from his offensive line. If we're hitting those uh, edge slash defensive line guys, I I, I really like Larry Ogunjobi and uh, he lands in Cincinnati and let's see if they can unlock a little bit more out of him there. Uh, as far as the edge guys go, look, I, I we've talked about Yannick Ngakwe. I love him. Uh, that was, I, I think, it for guys who were kind of like, like, oh, that's a really nice addition type thing. I, I think Baltimore did well to retain Tyus Bowser. I think he's really interesting as a heir apparent to Matt Judon there. But I, I don't know if there's anyone else who really jumped out as... Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson was kind of an interesting signing for Minnesota as a guy who... Uh, I, I guess he's kind of the new Linval Joseph there, but he's not really a guy who's going to uh, create a whole lot of uh, pressure. Yeah, um, but they they were so desperate, like they were so threadbare. I think on that defensive line that you had to make a move, and I I had I had kind of projected them as you know trying to pick off some of these vets here that are in the bottom you know um, I don't know bottom seventy guys here in our free agent list. Like you know would they've gone after like a Kawan short or something like that? You know just to try to um, just to try to get some sort of a presence or a push and and try to hit on some of these guys at the tail end of their playing career but Tomlinson's good I mean Tomlinson's a guy that'll at least control the run for you he'll he'll, he'll bring an, uh, some semblance of professionalism to that defensive line and it, it makes it less frustrating when uh, Mike Zimmer inevitably drafts another quarterback in the or cornerback in the first <laughs> round and, and doesn't play him anyway so um, you know at least uh, at least you have something the linebackers don't really move a whole lot here. Levante David and Matt Milano both got signed before free agency opened. Uh, Jam Brown ends up just re-signing with Tennessee here. And uh, at the time of our taping, KJ Wright and Eric Wilson still sitting out there. Eric Wilson's really interesting to me. I think he's the guy that you'd circle as we might have 
kind of a star, potential star here, or we might have a guy who is just a really good athlete who kind of flashed in Minnesota and it never really comes together for him. Yeah, a couple guys, I think, um, you know, but at the same time, the the linebacker market's never going to be the same as it was. And it's just so it it is the most bizarre for, uh, market in free agency where they're like three or four guys that you have to resign because they're integral to your defense. And then the rest of them are viewed as complete replaceable parts. Like it's almost like the defensive running back. And so, um, yeah, but it's uh, it, there's still certainly some talent there and it's always the market where you feel like you can get that, that guy for nothing and have him uh, come in and kind of help turn your, turn your defense around your, uh, your John Beeson, if you will, you know, mm-hmm. but then don't pay him. That's the Giants that <laughs> they paid him afterwards. They shouldn't have done that. The uh, defensive backfield. I'm a William Jackson guy. I realize he's aging and, and he might fall off a cliff uh, in year two or, or three of this deal in Washington. But I thought he was the only clear cut number one uh, corner on the market, even even though I do like Shaquille Griffin. Uh, my favorite signing, though, is is Kyle Fuller reuniting with Vic Fangio out in Denver. And look, he's he's a guy who sort of slid back a little bit under Chuck Pagano, but not that much. Uh, and I, you know, Fangio got the best out of him in Chicago. I, I really think that's a good addition. And then they, uh, uh, on the other side, add uh, Ronald Darby, who I'm fine with. But um, I think that's a, a couple of nice additions here for the Broncos secondary. Yeah. Uh, I mean, any, any defensive back kind of going to play with Vic Fangio makes a lot of sense. The mind blower for me is how did, how did you let Desmond King go to Houston? You know, I, I I think he's so much better than everybody else does, apparently. And, you know, I've been surprised at kind of how wayward his career has been after being like one of the best defensive backs in football, like uh, over the first like two years of his career. Had some down moments for sure. Um, you know, maybe there's some uh, there's some holes in his play that I'm not aware of. But like just to basically like send him there to uh, to cast away in irrelevance in Houston is a little bit of a bummer because I think he could have been a, a really c- critical piece and plays all three spots really well so I don't know I I was I was surprised at Desmond King I really like that 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 guy he's been a head scratcher because now we have two teams that have yeah had him and sort of been like oh, okay we don't watch anymore uh so you kind of wonder what's going on there as far as the safeties go and and look the safety market has always been weird and and guys have not quite gotten paid the way they thought we'd get paid Jalen Mills was kind of the eye-opener to me I didn't think Jalen Mills was necessarily going to land a starting job somewhere and, and now it looks like he's going to be a, a big part of that Patriots defense but uh Anthony Harris who I uh, Look, I, I think Harris is probably a little bit overrated from what he did in Minnesota the last two years, but the Eagles got him on a really affordable one-year deal that was just a really good value there. And then on, uh, you know, looking elsewhere, John Johnson, I love John Johnson. I think he is everything you want in a safety in 2021, and I think uh, Cleveland landing him just makes uh, Joe Woods so happy out there with uh, sort of the flexibility that's going to give that defense. Probably... I mean, probably the cleanest, best signing of free agency for me was was Johnson. And then, you know, you maybe get Delpit back. You know, you don't know what he is yet. And all of a sudden, I think that secondary goes from, um, you know, I don't want to put too many expectations on an injured r- rookie safety second round pick. But all of a sudden, I think that defense goes from OK to like, whoa, I mean, you know, maybe not Pittsburgh level, but like upper middle tier of the NFL. Good. Keanu Neal to Dallas with Dan Quinn reuniting that that was kind of heartwarming yeah yeah 
Good for Dan Quinn. And, you know, bad for other teams that didn't sign Keanu Neal, too. I mean, that's not a lot of money for Keanu Neal. That, yeah. that you know, that, that should have been a no-brainer for some other team that needed safety help. These safeties, man, I, they just don't get paid anymore. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why. It's like a, uh, it's like an old safety talking to his son and being like, "Back in the day, we used to be." <laughs> well, I don't know when. When would it have been like? We we used to be like <laughs> Landon Collins, and now we're all just yeah drifting, drifting away. Yeah. Yep. All right, Connor. We got plenty more this week as free agency rolls on, and we're going to have transition to draft stuff coming up. Uh, You will be with Jenny on the Week Side podcast coming up on Tuesday. If you don't already subscribe, uh, please do. But that's that's it. That's everything we liked about the first week of free agency. Literally everything. I can't think of a single other thing that I left out. Um, Yeah, that's it. No more thoughts. Completely emptied them out. (laughs) Feels good. The MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Grambling. We are produced by Shelby Royson. SI's executive producer of the podcast is Scott Brody. Mark Mravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed as well as the feeds for the Weekside Podcast and the Albert Breer Show. They're all for free on Apple Podcasts. And once you do subscribe... Leave a rating and review for all of them. It really does help other people find the shows, which are also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is 
finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.